Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Vreeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, the UFC is off this week. We got no fights that we're looking forward to, but that being said, we still do have plenty to give you because guess what? We're still interviewing a couple of people and we're still doing our famed combat countdown. TTP never sleeps. So those interviews this week are going to be with Joseph Ugly Man Home, Ugly Man Joe Holmes, rather, and Trey Ogden, who both fought on Fury FC 53. Dana White's looking for a fight, and both of them won their UFC contracts. So we're going to be talking to them about those experiences. And of course, like I said, we're going to have the combat countdown. Me and Shockwave Dave are counting down the three things we are the most thankful for in the world of MMA. So... We're going to get to all that great content for you in just a second, but before that, we need to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports gambling. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities if they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, each and every week, we give you a bonus pick on a UFC fight card only on the Top Turtle MMA page at Better Than Vegas. So make sure to head on over there and subscribe, and you can only do that at betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Joseph Holmes, fresh off of his UFC contract-winning performance over Jonathan Potti at Fury FC 53. So, Joe, I wanted to start here. You're, you're on the Contender Series. You have a damn good performance, picking up a rear naked choke finish, and you get no contract. I, I'm just curious, where was your mind after that Contender Series fight? Uh, I mean, at first, it took me a second to realize like exactly why I wasn't getting a contract. Uh, it wasn't because I didn't do anything right or because, you know, I was hesitant or anything. It was, you know, Dana actually said that I did everything right and he thought I did a perfect job on that fight. And he was just saying that he needs me to get more experience and be in front of, like, the whole UFC fans and everything, uh, like a second time, kind of like to grow my stock. Well, I like that. And, and so after he explained all of that to you, after he had sold you on the idea of, you know, taking a, a fight at somewhere like Fury FC, you you were sold on it. You you were all in on that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. To me, it's all about the wins. It's all about getting my record up um, and just getting the experience I need to become a champion one day. Um, so, yeah, I was totally I was totally on board with having another fight. So then, so then you get this other fight. You get this fight booked at, at Fury FC against Jonathan Ponte, a guy who's got lots of high-level experience in his own right. Did you feel extra pressure knowing that this was kind of like the second chance already and you were performing in front of the big man again and, and all that kind of stuff? No, I wouldn't say any extra pressure. I mean, there's always so much pressure going into a fight, like so much pressure. Um, so I would say that I had a little extra pressure about my opponent. Uh, I trained with him before in the past, like when I was an amateur, and he was already pro at the time. So I definitely felt a little added pressure uh, due to that. I'm just wondering, like, you know, 
have I grown enough, you know, to have passed him up? Um, you know, things like that. Like, did, what, did he have my numbers since, you know, he's been training longer than me? Uh, so that was a little out of pressure. And, and is that a, a weird dynamic too? Or, or was it like, you know, infrequent enough training that you didn't feel like friendly with him or anything like that? Was, was it a weird dynamic knowing that your ticket to the UFC goes through somebody you know? Yeah, it was definitely weird. Um, it kind of just seemed like, like uh, I guess this is the test, you know, like it's a test to make sure you're ready. And this is the test that's going to prove to not only like Dana that I'm ready, but like to prove to myself, like, yeah, you've been training a lot. You passed up somebody who was at a higher level than you at one point. So, yeah. I, I love it. And, and that's a really great mentality to have. And, and obviously you pass that test, right? You you get the finish, a spectacular first round TKO. As soon as that fight's over, I got to imagine knowing all you knew. Did you know that the contract was for sure coming? Yeah, no. Dana promised me a contract if I got in there and just won again. So to get a nasty knockout like that after getting hit in my nuts. Uh, yeah, I, I knew that I was guaranteed a contract. And and so, you know, obviously the, the formality of it then is then you go backstage and you got to get, uh, you know, sign the paperwork, you know, get the, get the official offer from the boss, man. What was that like? What was that feeling like for you after, you know, like you said, being on kind of like a roller coaster of the contender series and not getting a contract and, and getting ready for this fight? What was it like to finally have that final word that, yes, you would be in the UFC? Oh, it was insane. Like, he looked at me, he's like, Holmes, he's like, you came through a, a gnarly nut shot to come in here and do a spectacular knockout, man. Welcome to the UFC. Like, when I heard that come out of his mouth, I, I melted. I was just like, oh, wow, this is that moment. Like, this is that one moment that not only me, but, like, every – person that's dedicated as much as I've dedicated to the sport is waiting for it. They're just waiting for that one opportunity to like get to the highest level and make some actual life changing money. So, well, that's awesome to hear. Now I did want to ask you really quickly before we moved on about that shot to the groin, because obviously that's a game changer in a lot of fights. And, and like you said, it was a, it was a gnarly shot. To the groin. So how, how much did that affect you in that fight and, and how, you know, like how, you know, incapacitated were you moving forward? Oh, that was the, that was not, that was like, that was probably one of the worst shots I've ever taken to my private area. Like it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't even my nuts. It was like, you know, all, you know, the, the actual thing, like it was, it was terrible. And I had just watched those fights from the week before and, uh, DeCasey or Diekis actually got knocked out after a nasty nut shot that he took. So the entire time that I was going through my head, I was like, oh, man, I can't be like him, can't be like him. Um, and then my coach, Krause, was like, he's like, hey, Joe, just make sure you focus back up after you after you get back to normal. And I, and I just was thinking about that, just get back focused, just, you know, get my head back into a fighting mentality. Because, no, it definitely hit a weird restart for me in my head. Like, shit, like, I just really got hit in the nuts, you know. Um and so, so you mentioned James Krause in there, which actually, you know, two people got got contracts on this show. It was you and Trey Ogden, also a James Krause trained fighter. You know, I asked him the same question a little bit uh, later on, and and I asked him, you know, like what is it like having a guy like James Krause who is seen, you know, so highly in the MMA field now? He's becoming more and more famous as both a coach and sort of a martial arts figure. What was it like having him there for you as sort of that calming presence? 
Oh, man, it's amazing having him with me. Uh, I told him after the very first fight, he cornered me. I, I want him with me every time just because he's very calming. You know, like his confidence he has in you is very, like, he's very reassuring. And a lot of times, like, a fighter just needs, like, reassurance. Like, hey, man, you know, you put in the word, you know, obviously you're nervous. Um, you know, the other guy's nervous, too. Just, like, you got this. You know, he'll say... A lot of times, or at least twice out of my three fights he's cornered me, I've heard him say something. He's like, he's like, man, you beat this guy on your worst day, and if it's if it's his best day, you know, that's like the my favorite thing to hear him say. Like, he's like, you beat this guy on your worst day, if, even if it was his best day, and I just like, so to hear something like that, like, it's really reassuring. Like, and he's really good. He's like, he's very vocal in the cage. He makes sure you can hear him. Um, and he he like goes over like the way he's going to say things, you know what I mean? Because that's really important. Like not every coach says the same thing the same way, you know? So he definitely makes sure that he goes over like, this means this, or, you know, I'm going to call like a 112. That means, you know, 112 or whatever. Yeah, he's really good. I love having him with me. Well, that's great to hear. Now, I did want to switch gears from talking about that fight to another question I have for you, because I'm a connoisseur of MMA nicknames. I think they're uh, always hilarious, and the stories behind them are usually great. And you've got one of the most unique nicknames in MMA history, which is Ugly Man Joe. i got to know the story behind how you became Ugly Man Joe. Oh, man. I became Ugly Man Joe in 2013. Um, I created a group called Ugly Man Gang. Um, and it was just a group of me and a bunch of guys who liked to party and go out and socialize and meet new people. Uh, and stuff like that so uh pretty much it was just like you know ugly man gang so you just put ugly man at the beginning of what you like to be called so joe is what most people call me i was ugly man joe and pretty it, it pretty much just came out just from you know like when you see your friends you kind of like make fun of them but not like in a mean way it's more like you know to get them to be confident about themselves you know like you make fun of them and then they defend themselves and then make fun of you, you know, and then you like defend yourself and you both laugh and say, Hey, you know, how was your day? You know what I mean? Like it's literally kind of how it was. Like every time people would see me, they'd always call me ugly man. Um, and just like make fun of something on me. And I just grew like, I guess like a second skin for people like making fun of me. Um, and it, it was just like the way of life. So everybody in my college, that I was at at the time, which was Arkansas Tech University, every time they'd see me, I'd be ugly, man. Like any, the main people, not everyone, but the people who were partying and not doing the right thing, <laughs> they were doing, knowing me by ugly man, Joe. <laughs> so then when you, you make the switch to MMA, immediately, that that's just going to be the fight nickname, 100%. You're filling that out on all the cards. Ugly man is, is got to be what you go by. Oh, absolutely. And not even just that, like, I've been battling with people since the beginning about my name. Like they're always like messing it up or calling me like Joseph ugly man, Joe Holmes, or like this last fight, he called me ugly man, Joe Holmes. You know, like I hate that. Like I literally tell people what I want to be called ugly man, Joe. And they just can't like just accept that. You know, like I even, I even kind of like got into it, which me and her ended up becoming like really close after the contender series. But this sweet lady named Heidi, like, uh, she works for the UFC. We, we kind of ended up kind of getting into it a little bit, like a, a friendly, uh, disagreement, but she was asking me my nickname and I told her, I was like, ugly man, Joe. And she's like, Oh, that's interesting. So she's like, oh, okay. So they call you Joseph, ugly man, Joe Holmes. I was like, 
absolutely not. And I was like, no, it's just ugly. <laughs> I was like, it's just ugly, man, Joe. And she's like, she's like, oh, well, they're not going to do it like that in the UFC. And I was like, believe me, Heidi, I've been doing this with people since the beginning of me fighting. <laughs> she's like, and she's like, she's like, no, but that wasn't the UFC. And I was like, well, even in the UFC, they're going to call me ugly man, Joe. Like, we're just going back and forth. <laughs> And then by the end of it, she ends up calling me Ugly Man Joe and gives me a big hug, and, and she's the sweetest woman I've ever talked to in my life. Well, I'm glad to hear it, and I'm looking forward to hearing them announcing Ugly Man Joe in the in the cage when it does finally happen. So that that's my last question for you here before I let you go. How do you feel after that fight, and when's the next time we see you back in there? I feel amazing. I didn't take much damage. I had threw a kick um, that got crowded and hit his elbow, I think. And I had some swelling that I didn't let heal right away because I went on the mountain uh, with snowboarding the next day. Uh, but that's about, that's about back at 100% now. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I hope hopefully I can get through December and eat as much as I want for the holidays. Um, and I should definitely be back in there early January and mid-February. Awesome. Well, we are certainly looking forward to it. And once again, fans, this was Ugly Man Joe, who is fresh off of his UFC contract winning performance against Jonathan Potti at Fury FC 53. Joe, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you a lot, too. I had a lot of fun. Thanks, man. And uh, I'll probably uh, run this. Uh, there'll be like an article and I'll, I'll probably release the whole audio clip and, and whatnot uh, early next week during the, the vacation week. And uh I'll, uh, I'll make sure I tag you in, in Iridium and all the social media stuff. Please do. Thank you so much, man. You're awesome. I really appreciate it. Well, if you have enjoyed that interview with our guy, Ugly Man Joe, I once again am Daniel Gilby Freeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's start here on this one. I know we're about to talk about things that we're thankful for, but this past weekend we saw 10 decisions in 11 fights, which, first of all, pretty damn ridiculous, but... We also saw a decision in the main event where we saw Misha Tate. I, I don't know. This is where I want your take. Did we see her look like herself or did we see like a sad, deteriorated, not quite ever going to be a challenger Misha Tate? I think you sort of answered the question. I think, or maybe you didn't answer the question, but I think it's both is what I want to say. I think we saw Misha Tate and I think we saw a five-year layoff 90% of what she used to be, Misha Tate. So, so you think she she is still... Because I'm not sure about this either. Because I, I thought her hands maybe even looked better than old Misha Tate. But like, do you think she's still... Is she still 90% of what she used to be in terms of like grappling, takedowns, wrestling? Mm, I don't know. I, I would honestly need to see one more fight, I guess, just to really paint that picture. But I will say... There's nothing here that says different outcome versus Amanda Nunes, and that's what they're driving towards. So what does it even matter at the end of the day? I mean, I could totally see her getting the Nunes fight. She gets her fat, her fat envelope from a title fight, and then she rides off into the sunset again. Like, do we really think she's going to stick around to be at the top of the division? It's actually really worth noting that the women's division is so much more um, built out, robust, more depth. Like, if she were to lose to Amanda Nunes early in 2022, what would she have to do to get another title shot? Even if the title switched to someone else off of Amanda Nunes, 
Misha would still have to reel off three, four wins in a row. It's crazy how much depth these divisions have now in the UFC, both men's and women. You look at the fact that, you know, uh, Max Holloway, what he had to go through just to get to his first title shot. So many guys right now, up and comers reeling off. We're now seeing seven, eight fight win streaks and they're not getting title shots. Whereas in 2010, you know as well as I, if someone won four in a row, they got a title shot. Yeah, it was usually three. I, I think I remember counting. Like, when somebody had two, you were like, oh, shit, they're about to get that. Um, and, and some of that was just they're not being ranking, so, like, you could just assume that. Um, and, and it's worth noting, women's bantamweight, notoriously, probably the least depth deep women's division. But you're right. She she would have to get through, you know, Holly Holm, Jermaine Durandamy, uh, you know, Juliana Pena is in front of her now. Obviously, Ketlin Vieta with this decision is in front of her. Um, you'd have to assume somebody like Aspen Ladd, even off of her losses in front of her, Norma Dumont's in front of her. Yeah, like she's going to need three or four wins in a row. And I think ultimately you asked the perfect question. Is she going to stick around to just be in the top of the division? Or does she really believe she has a four fight winning streak to put together in 2022 to get a title shot again? And I just... Man, I, I think I we saw her, her motivation deteriorate when she, like, lost her title and then dropped a fight to Raquel Pennington. I, I don't know that it can sustain, I would say, one more loss. Like, if she came out and lost to Aspen Ladd next, like, I don't know that she'd stick around, and I don't know that I'd blame her for not. Yeah, and, you know, I'll say this, and we're going to talk about this a little bit in a minute. Uh, I don't want to give anything away, but talking about dominant champions and there aren't a lot of them right now. Um, but you look at, you know, Amanda Nunes, obviously Valentina, uh, you know, for 125, definitely uh, even Rose at this point. I mean, if Rose were to lose, I think you would call up your friend and be like, Hey, I can't believe Rose lost. Uh, she might not be dominant per se, but she's become an absolute fixture at that weight class. And then on the men's side, Izzy and Usman right now, you know, Jones is no longer the light heavyweight title. That could be a hot potato title over the next year. We think Francis is going to be that guy for heavyweight, which isn't saying much. He'd need to defend like three or four times and he'd be in the GOAT conversation. But you look at those, you know, handful of dominant champions that the UFC has right now, Amanda Nunes being one of them, Misha being in her division. I don't think Misha is going to be the one to unseat her. I've seen nothing to that effect. So a long way of getting around this. It's, there's nothing there, really. I Yeah, is she her former self? Maybe she's better in some regards, worse in others. It just doesn't matter when Amanda Nunes is at the top of that mountain for that division. So I just don't even know if it matters, you know? Yeah, that that's true too. Um, it, it might matter in how long she sticks around, but ultimately, like as far as being a thread for the UFC or being a thread for MMA media, whatever you want to say, like she's just not that anymore. Um, and it, it that might be a sad transition, and Ketlin Vieta might have been the one to show it to us, but um, you know, the, the that question has been answered, I think. Wait, did you say a thread or a threat? I said thread. Yeah, she's just not that threat. I mean, she's not a threat anymore either. But, like, she's not that thread anymore for the UFC either. Like, I don't think she can use that. They can use that storyline 
being that like it's just not viable because she's going to need to rattle off four wins and I, I don't think she's that yeah got it got it okay all right well we'll keep an eye on that we're going to be keeping an eye on a lot of things going forward here because hey it's Thanksgiving week, and typically when there's no fights, we do a little MMA fan nerd appreciation for the sport that we love. We're going to do a combat countdown this week, Gumby, and we're breaking down our top, we'll say, three for each of us, things that we're thankful for in the fight game. Does that sound good to you? That sounds phenomenal. But before we do that, let me mention that this combat countdown is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and oh so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All right. Should I start or should you start? Why why don't why don't you kick us off? That way I don't steal one of yours cuz I feel like my list is probably a little deeper than yours. Okay. Uh here we go. We'll do number 3. So we're breaking this down 3 to 1, 1 being the most thankful, 3 being the the bottom of the depth chart. And for me, uh it's a storyline that tugs at the heartstrings it's somewhat of a disney movie just in the world of mma and it's glover Teixeira's title reign he just beat jan blankowitz do i think he's going to hold the title for an extended period of time no probably not don't know i bet my life savings on that but gosh darn is it not great and was i not emotional as a huge fan of his watching him win that title this is a guy who has won the title at age 42 and had to reel off. I mean, this is quite impressive when you think about it. He lost his first title shot to John Jones in 2014 and then lost again to Phil Davis. So bad year for him in 2014 comes back, wins three in a row, but then loses to an Anthony rumble Johnson KO uh, uppercut from hell trades wins and losses wins. Jared Cannonier, but loses to Alexander Gustafsson wins against Misha Serkinov, loses to Corey Anderson. So he's, you know, win one, lose one. And then starting in January of 2019, this man reels off five wins in a row against everyone the UFC threw at him. People, they wanted him to be a gatekeeper, and he was more than that. I mean, he was almost like a prospect killer in a lot of ways, or at least people that they were hoping would, you know, ascend to the title shot. And all along, it was actually Glover who did it, and he beats Jan Blankovic. This past October, he does it with a rear naked choke. This man is, at this point, maybe the best representation of jiu-jitsu and MMA with Damian Maya retiring. And there are some other guys who obviously are a great representation of jiu-jitsu, but he's the current champion right now. He primarily uses jiu-jitsu as his number one way to end a fight. And as a jiu-jitsu nerd, that is awesome to me. So number three for me, Glover Teixeira's title reign. That's an awesome storyline. I think it's one of the better storylines in MMA right now. So, yeah, I'm in on that one, too. And I'm actually going to make my number three something that's pretty similar. Um, And I'm going to dovetail it a little bit with something. So I'm going to double dip here. I'm going to say Francis Ngannou's title title shot slash title run here. Uh, Him beating Stipe Miocic. Of course, I love Stipe Miocic, but... Francis Ngannou's got the best story in sports, and it's not its not close. Like, the dude was mining sand in Cameroon, walking the streets of Paris homeless, 
like five years later, he's a UFC champion and like an icon of the sport. He's got some of the biggest knockouts over some of the biggest names. It's an incredible life story. And in addition to that, I, I was also going to pick originally, and this is what I'll dovetail with and get two for one. His fight with Surreal Gain is so exciting to me. Um, I don't actually care so much about the storyline of them training together, like because they're both, you know, they're both training in France under uh, Ferdinand Lopez. But like, I do think just, like, it is the most interesting heavyweight-style matchup we've ever seen with a dude who hits harder than any human being on the planet and, like, maybe the most technical heavyweight of all time. Um, and that's so exciting to me. So I'm going to double-dip there, and I'm going to take Francis Ngannou and his continued title run up through uh, Surreal Gain is my number three. How about you? What's your number two? All right, so for number two, and we kind of already talked about it right now, but it's it's more or less, as a whole, the UFC title picture right now because I really like the slate of champions that we have. I think Izzy and Usman are making their name and going to be in that conversation for GOAT, and I don't mean that in the Joe Rogan, Dana White, let's sell a fight and call someone with, like, two title defenses the GOAT. Like Piotr Jan Jan getting called the GOAT, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, these two are really building a Hall of Fame resume right before our eyes, And you know what, even if they lose it, but potentially win it back because that's how good they are, um, you know, I feel like between Izzy, Usman, what Volk might pull off at 145, and then on the female side, obviously Nunes is by far and away the GOAT. I mean, she's at five title defenses at 135. She has two title defenses at um, 145. And then Shevchenko, I mean, it's actually, you could blink and you almost missed it, but she has established the 125-pound belt for the ladies and, you know, reeled off six title defenses. It would be a massive uh, news item if someone were to beat her for that title. So you have, you know, four, maybe five, quote-unquote, dominant champions, and I don't throw that word around lightly like the UFC marketing tends to do. Um, And I think Nagano is about to go on a run. But at the same time, I could see almost any one of them losing their title next year. You know, if I had to bet the field versus them keeping it, I'd probably bet the field in 2022 because there are so many good challengers out there. Maybe not so much at 185, but certainly Volk at 145. That's a stack division. 170 is always a stack division. I know Usman looks like a god right now, but 170 has a ton of depth to it. Um you know, and then 155 has a ton of depth to it, and I don't think Charles Oliveira is going to go on some magical run. I can only wish Khabib was still champion there, and we were calling him a dominant champion. He would be on, you know, maybe a fourth or fifth title defense right now with no one stopping him up to except his, you know, the man he's actually grooming right now and coaching for a next title shot. Um, but that all being said, and Makhachev, but that all being said, I am most thankful right now for a really good lineup of UFC champions. It reminds me, after a few years of, you know, maybe people with like one foot in, one foot out, uh, you know, Cejudo, we thought he was going to be it at 125, 135, and then he just goes and retires. I feel very good about the champions right now. I love that. And and I'm actually going to – it's wild. All of my picks play so well in yours. I'm going to dovetail off that for my number two. My number two is I think part of the reason why I feel exactly like you do, where I really like this title picture with, like, an assortment of dominant champions, guys who could lose the belt tomorrow, people who, you know, are, are good – everybody's a good champion, but it, like, wouldn't surprise you if some of them lost – 
With all of that being said, part of the reason why I love this crop of champions so much, I haven't heard any of them talk about a super fight, and this is going to be my thankful number two. I'm so thankful we left the super fight era in the background, because, like, if this was a year and a half ago, let's say just a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, maybe early 2020, late 2019, Piotr Jan is, would have already talked about fighting Volkanovski or uh, Brandon Moreno. Brandon Moreno would have already threatened to challenge Piotr Jan or uh, Aljamain Sterling. We would have had, um, you know, Charles Oliveira trying to fight Kamara Usman instead of Dustin Poirier. We, I mean, we'd have every which way we'd have a fighter looking to move up a division. I think some of it is that two of the most dominant champions, like you mentioned, Kamara Usman and Izzy really don't have any interest in fighting each other because they're both Nigerian and they both like love that fact. And they seem to be friends in some way. I think that that's partially what's stifling this, but like the idea that John Jones didn't try to hold the 205 pound belt and then go get the heavyweight one as part of like some, I'm going to dominate all these divisions thing. I'm so thankful for that. It's keeping the divisions moving. We get that beautiful Glover to share a storyline. We don't bog down divisions with challengers who need to move, or, you know, are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And of course, we have situations like I, I think Valentina Shevchenko is probably going to try to fight Amanda Nunes again. So I don't think we're out of the woods entirely. But that like time of having every single champ try to accumulate two belts so that they can, you know, do the Conor McGregor thing. The fact that that's in the rearview mirror. Uh, I could not be more thankful for in the UFC. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that. And those two did at number two did pair very well. Okay, so I'll get to my number one. And you know, I actually maybe had more to say about the first two than I do this. But quite simply, what I'm most thankful for is the prospects of fighters in the UFC, the up and coming. You know about to break into the top tier. Maybe they're just on the outside bubble of the top 15. Maybe they're on the outside bubble of the top 10, but they're right there. And you mark it on your calendar when you see them on the undercard or the prelim, or you just get that feeling that you're watching the main eventers of tomorrow. You know, if we go back a couple of years when the UFC was in the process of being sold, kind of tightening up their budget and letting a lot of high profile fighters go like Ryan Bader, whoever it might've been to Bellator, Benson Henderson. And everyone thought this was going to be like the crack in the armor for UFC strategically letting, um, you know, uh, wow. Why am I blanking? Corey, Corey uh, Rory McDonald. Yeah. Or Corey Anderson, Rory Mack. <laughs> Rory Mack. And you know, it just turned out that the UFC had so much depth and what keeps us tuning in, it doesn't matter when Connor and Rhonda move on because there's always that next Connor and Rhonda. Um, maybe not so much in the trash talking, maybe not so much in that they're going to go star in a Hollywood movie, but the excitement level. And so for me right now, it's Giga Chikadze at 145. I am so excited about his prospects as he's about to crack into the top five and potentially fight for a title. We just saw him fight this past weekend, Sean Brady at 170. I mean, geez Louise, you also have Chimiev there at 170 or 185, Alvarez at 170 as well. And then 155 is so stacked, but guys like, you know, Fiziev, Brad Riddell, um, it, it's just, ah, man, it's just so awesome that the UFC is able to keep churning out 
these types of stars and building them from within. And they're doing it off, you know, sometimes it's fancy promotion, don't get me wrong, and it's the stupid over-the-top hype videos of Joe Rogan and Dana White. But more or less, it's the fights that keep people coming back and what people are building their name off of. Sometimes it's favorable matchmaking. I get that too. But it's unbelievable to me that someone like Islam Makiachev, who barely speaks a word of English, can become a star that when I go to my gym, people are talking about, oh, when's his next fight? And here he is now ranked number four and driving towards the title. Uh, I'll give you another one, too, that I'm so excited about. 185, Alex Pereira is doing nothing but working with Glover Teixeira right now on takedown defense and grappling. He's got potentially the best hands in the division, if not like top five in the UFC. This is a man that knocked out the 185 champ, Israel Adesanya, in kickboxing. And now he's working on his grappling, and he looks like a frickin' beast. So when you asked me what I said was going to be a succinct little uh, story here, it wasn't. But when you asked me what am I most thankful for, it's the up-and-comers in the UFC right now. Yeah, and I I love that answer too. And, and you know, you you sort of mentioned it there too, the hype that, that the UFC has found a way to put behind people and make us care about them. And some people hate that and, and hate that they're, you know, they're overhyped prospects or whatever. But you mentioned Asperera. Like, he he's a guy who came over from kickboxing with a 3 and one MMA record. You know, 10 years ago when we were like new-ish fans, right? Or, you know, 15 years ago when we were new-ish fans to the sport – if a three and one guy got a shot in the UFC, you'd be like, what the fuck is he doing here? And now we know enough about them that they're super hyped. Um, yeah, so I, I love that answer. I'll also just throw in there. We got to say the name Manon Firo because she at 125 pounds for the women is just killing shit. And the UFC clearly loves her. Like she got her own video package before a prelim fight one day. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for them as well. But... Uh, this is going to be the first time one of my numbers did not dovetail with yours nicely. And I'm going to take this um, as a as a retrospective look at what we've got in the UFC right now. I'm going to say the number one thing I'm thankful for in the UFC at the moment is the amount of just like absolutely bonkers fights we got in the last month and month and a half. Um, since like the beginning of October, we have really, truly seen some absolutely absurdly good fights. You know, we saw Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez, which first of all was just crazy. Uh, we saw Shane Burgos and Billy Quarantillo. We saw Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler, which might be up there with like Shogun Dan Henderson is like my favorite fight of all time. Shogun Dan Henderson, legendary fight. Go back and watch it if you haven't. But, like, we got that fight, which, like, ranks on par with that for me. We also got fights like, you know, we got to see Piotr Jan and Corey Sandhagen in, like, a technical war. Even Mackenzie Dern versus Marina Rodriguez, which was, by the way, not even two months ago, was an insane five-round main event where we saw just some, like, crazy shit go down, including... Marina Rodriguez nearly hitting an arm try or a, a Darce choke from the bottom on one of the greatest jujitsu fighters that women's divisions have ever seen. So uh, the thing I'm the most thankful for in the MMA world right now is just that we seem to have had an absurd amount of fight of the night prospects that we've never had before or fight of the year prospects, I could say. And it looks like with the matchmaking for December, we're about to get a whole bunch more too, because we've got... Like you said, Brad Riddell and Rafael Fiziev, two of the hottest prospects fighting on that card alongside of 
Rob Font versus Jose Aldo. We got Poye versus Oliveira coming up, which is going to be absolutely bonkers. We got Cody Garbrand fighting Kaikara France at flyweight, going down to fucking flyweight, which is just going to be nuts. There's an ultra women's prospect match between Blanchfield and, and Miranda Maverick. That's going to be so much fun. So there's just so many great fights that are coming up on the docket. But the last quarter of this year for the UFC has brought us some absolutely true gems. And for that, I'm thankful. Boom. I really like that, too. Um, great way to end on number one. I think both of ours were quite positive on what the future holds. So I guess they did kind of dovetail together in, in, in a way. But we want to hear what you're most thankful for. Hit us up on our Twitter at MMA. Let us know what you're thankful for in the UFC. And there are no fights this weekend, unfortunately, but you can always catch us on social media making wisecracks. Gumby, this train is a moving down the tracks. Where should we go next? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Trey Ogden. He's a guy who is right now thankful for getting his brand new UFC contract through Dana White's Looking for a Fight. He talks about the process of getting that contract, working with James Krause, and oh, so much more. And we'll get to that for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Trey Ogden, who fresh off of his contract-winning performance over J.J. Okanovich at Fury FC 53. So, Trey, I want to take you back to that night now. Uh, you know, three guys who had already fought on the Contender Series, already picked up wins, including your opponent, Okanovich had won on the Contender Series. We're all fighting there and kind of, you know, sort of probably the people circled by the UFC brass. What was sort of your mindset going into this event around getting seen? Well, I, I feel like I've been on the doorstep and one breakout performance away for, for a couple of years. Um and I liked the matchup, and I know I belong in the UFC, and uh, I just couldn't. I was just grateful and happy and um, energized to get out there and compete, and I knew what was going to happen. Well, and, and so you, you said there that, that you feel like you've been on the doorstep for a couple of years. You've been in the game longer than a lot of people on that card. You, you had your amateur debut sure. ten plus years ago, uh, back in 2011. What does it sort of mean to make it here now after all of that time? And, in you, you know, you said a couple of years you felt like you've been knocking on the door. How long do you feel like you've been ready for this? Well, um, I mean, it means a lot to me to have fulfilled a journey like that and a goal like that. And something as significant in life is, is getting signed to the UFC, especially after all of the adversity and, and time and have feeling feeling a little bit overdue for a while and missing a lot of opportunities. And like the first year of the contender series, I was like nine and one on a seven fight win streak and just got passed up. And uh, the second year they said they would have a matchup for me and then just never sent it. And so just like having gone through that role of it was, uh, you know, completely motivating and I can't wait to get out there and compete in the UFC and show that I do belong there. And that uh, what I did to JJ O'Connor, could very well happen to many of the UFC fighters. That, that's that's a hell of a story there. Now, I, I didn't realize that they had basically told you you were going to get a shot on the Contender Series. And, and you know, obviously you you have the good record, and I, I would have expected that. But how, how how degrading was that to you? Did you ever feel like you were close to giving up, or what, did it just motivate you more at the time? Well, this is what I do. This is my profession, and this is my passion, uh, competing or no competing. I'm engaged in the daily process to try to master martial arts and master myself through martial arts. And that's what I'm going to be doing. So I never thought I'd quit. Like, you know what I mean? But I was, I did, there was a time where I started to really wonder if I was ever going to get an opportunity to display my work on the world stage. And 
thinking that I might not was, uh, did bother me. But, uh, you know, it all worked out to my advantage because of the energy and the uh, emotion and intention and focus I had in the fight came from all those built up years, you know, and I got to let it all out. Yeah, well, let's talk about letting it all out, too, because obviously a really incredible performance. You get the second round choke there. As soon as that he taps out, you know, the ref steps in, pushes you off. Do, do you feel immediately like you've done enough to win the, the contract or, or are you left waiting and thinking for about it for a while? Uh, no, I thought I thought I did enough, obviously, you know, and I ran over and screamed a whole bunch of emotion at Dana White and then told him I loved him because I realized I got a little <laughs> intense. And, uh, you know, I was kind of letting that 10-year journey out a little bit at him. And, uh, but he felt that and he was smiling and laughing and gave me a good nod. And, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, nothing's guaranteed in this sport. I've been around long enough. I've been through it all. I'm a 10-year veteran. Uh, you know, I know that nothing's guaranteed in this sport. But um, I felt really good about it. My coach seemed like extremely happy with me and um you know i i couldn't i knew that i couldn't have put on a better performance so i was like my job done here and i was at peace with that but uh i, I knew it was looking good now now you said you you shouted some things at him and obviously you said it ended with i love you so i'm assuming the the comments before that were maybe not as nice or, or maybe a little bit more intense oh no they were nice no 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 <laughs> super nice is very intense so I, I i started yelling and i and uh, this is my memory of it. I started yelling as soon as I got off JJ. I'm yelling, running across. Uh, it's my fucking time. I belong in the UFC. Uh, I'm the motherfucking martial arts marathon. I'm a martial arts machine. I love you. I love the UFC. I love martial arts. I belong in the UFC. And then I hopped down and told him, uh, like, I calmed down. I said it was an honor to fight in front of you. Uh, bowed to him, Matt Saradine Thomas. And then I went and, uh, uh, you know, shouted some wild shit with my family and then hugged James Krause. <laughs> but it was all respectful stuff, and he knew that. I was just, I just realized it was like, by the look at Dana's face, he thought, it looked like he thought I might actually fly over the cage. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to ease him. <laughs> well, I, I, I love that story. Now, you said he was nodding and smiling throughout the whole thing. It, it seemed like a good vibe. What, how did he come about telling you, and what, what did that feel like? What, what, what did it sound like? Yeah, I mean, it was it was awesome. He he was basically like, you know, you you dominated, uh, you fought a top level regional guy, and uh, you dominated him everywhere, and uh, you're not getting any younger, and uh, you're uh, 31 today, right? And I was like, uh, no, actually, I fought on my birthday, so I was like, no, I'm actually 32 today. Today's my birthday, and he was like, oh my gosh, really, it's your birthday? And then he was just like, well, welcome to the UFC, kid. And I asked him if I could touch him because I was about to hug him, and I hugged him, and uh, he was. <laughs> Such a gracious, warm, genuine guy, man. Uh, you know, he, he makes you feel really comfortable to be around him. He's a very good dude. I can feel it. Well, that that's awesome to hear. Now, obviously, you know, like you said, it, it's been a long journey. It, it's been a really tough time for you. And I also want to talk about the last year for you, too, because over the course of the last year, you've actually had three fights fall through. This was your first fight in almost a year off. What What was it like stepping in there kind of, you know, without having your usual complement of fights in the last year on such a big stage? Um, you know, like pressure can burst pipes to make diamonds and I rose to the occasion. I felt enhanced, not hindered by the pressure of the moment. Um, I was excited and energized to compete. I had a lot of pent up frustration over having to pull out of two fights, which was the first time in my career and it happened to me back to back. 
and both were like mystery injuries where I didn't even know exactly how I got hurt, when I got hurt, nor could I get exact diagnoses, but I was like, wasn't able to train or teach or do anything for like the longest period of time. And that drives me nuts. I'm a trainer. I train two times a day, every day. This is what I love to do. So to have that taken away from me was, was really tough, but I stayed in the gym. I run a, I run an affiliate gym with James Krauss. And so I uh, stayed coaching my team and uh, I, I worked in my mind. And so I don't, I don't believe in ring rust. I'm a martial artist. I can fight you right now. I can fight you in eight weeks and I can fight you in 10 years. No problem. Like this is what I do all day long. So uh, I wasn't worried about ring rust. And as you can tell in the first 30 seconds of the fight, I was obviously already very loose and uh, accurate and ready to go. So, yeah, I would definitely agree that you didn't have any ring rust in there. Now, I wanted to ask you one more question before uh, we start to wrap up here. And that's, you know, you mentioned you you have an affiliate gym with James Krause. You, you're like a glory MMA OG. I believe your manager actually even uh, said that about you to me. So I, I want to ask, having James Krause as a mentor, having James Krause as that guy to go to, what has that been like for your career? Obviously, we're seeing him tons and tons more in the, the UFC and around people. But what's it been like for you? Man, like, amazing. I remember one day, like, sitting back, like, observing Krauss, like, objectively and being like, this guy is doing the absolute best job of making martial arts a profession out of anyone I've seen um, in all the different ways you can. And he laid an amazing blueprint and I decided that I was just going to follow in my coach's footsteps and, and follow his blueprint. And so that's what I'm doing. And it's working out incredible for me. And uh, another thing that I can say about Krauss that, um, that I've always told people about him is I've never been around somebody who can handle adversity and, and what would seem like setbacks better than Krauss. Like he eats that shit like vitamins and supplements and it makes him better and stronger he never shows it on his face or in his demeanor, and it never slows him down. Like no matter what happens to him, he's progressing. And seeing somebody go through different various adversities or like injuries or setbacks or whatever life stresses with the composure he has was has always been something that I've pulled from and looked to and uh, taken strength from an example from when I've been going through some shit in my life. So it's been amazing. I couldn't ask for anyone better to be uh, to be my coach, a mentor, and friend, and uh, many more years to it. Well, we love hearing that. Now, uh, one last question before you go. You know, usually I ask my fighters right at the end for a prediction because we're usually talking pre-fight, but now we're talking post-fight here. When do you want to get back in there? Obviously, you look like you probably came through that fight relatively unscathed. When do we get to see the UFC debut of Trey Ogden? Yeah, it sounded like uh, we're, I think February is what we're they're saying or talking about or looking at or telling me to be ready for. So. Uh, I'm going to take a week off and start fight camp volume training Monday and I'll be ready in eight weeks for whoever. So I'm, I'm ready to get in there soon though. I'd like to fight soon. Well, we would love to see that. And fans, once again, this has been Trey Ogden, who is fresh off his contract winning performance over JJ Okanovich at Fury FC 53. Trey, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We could not do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social and Better Than Vegas. And we want to remind you guys, you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA. Until next week, I'm Daniel Gibby-Freeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll catch you then.